I want to start uh, this episode number 356 of Unscripted by congratulating the St. Louis Blues on winning their first Stanley Cup championship last Wednesday night in Boston. They went into Boston, Game 7, and uh, took it to the Bruins. Um, no shame at all for the Bruins. A great year. Uh, Zadina Chara plays with a broken broken jaw that had multiple fractures in it. And I, I obviously, we've got to talk about that. We've got a load of stuff in the National Hockey League to talk about. But I do want to make a quick mention about Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland yesterday, as we're broadcasting here, I believe it's the 16th uh, or 17th, 17th of June, 17th of June, um, the day after. Now, if you remember the last couple of years when they played the U.S. Open, the USGA, which is the governing body, the United States Golf Association, come under an unbelievable amount of rash of shit from people inside the USGA and regular people like me in regard to the course set up two years ago at Aaron Hills in Wisconsin and then last year at Shinnecock out in the Hamptons, New York. The setup last year at Shinnecock was abysmal. It was just, there was no, these are the greatest collection of golfers in the world and they can't get up and down because the ball can't sit on these, you know, ice surface like greens. I had a huge problem last year with the course set up at Shinnecock and I even took it to the nth degree. Whereas I think like the, the, uh, Royal and ancient does over in Europe, the RNA they take certain courses out of the British Open Rotund, you know, the Rotunda when they screw up. I think Shinnecock should have been taken out of the Rotund, Rotunda, rotation. whatever. Well, they call it, they have a separate word oh, for it. Oh, do they? It is rotation, but they call it the Rotund or something. Oh, okay. It's, it's, some, it's a golf elitist word. Okay. But anyway, they take them out of the rotation when they screw up. This year, at next month, point, or what is it, port, something in Northern Ireland is the first time that they'll ever play at that venue. And that's replacing one of the ones that had been screwing up on the British rotund. But anyway, a very good job. I thought this time by the USGA in regard to the setup. And a lot of it had to do with the weather at Pebble certainly cooperated this week. No high, real high winds, no rain. Um, They were able to set it up and there was no complaining. Even Phil Mickelson, after his round yesterday, complimented the USGA. And I would like to do the same in this regard. But I want to say congratulations to Gary Woodland. Here is a guy that was Brooks Kepka before Brooks Kepka. This guy hits the ball a mile, but he's kind of gotten forgotten, if you will, Gary Woodland. A good career player, um, one PGA Tour win to his name, probably more famous this year anyway, for bringing out the girl at the par 316th at the Phoenix Open and letting her play, and then she was the one that went down and got the par. She had some difficulties. She had some, uh, but maybe more famous for that. But I got to tell you, when Brooks Kepka got within two going into the back nine on Sunday, I felt for sure that Kepka was going to overpass Gary Woodland just because Kepka's been there. Kepka's an animal. Kepka hits the ball a freaking mile, and nothing seems to bother Brooks Kepka. But good on him, Gary Woodland. Congratulations to you for winning your first major championship and um, $2.2 million yesterday. And let me just give you a little bit of advice. 
your life is going to change significantly with winning your first major championship, especially your first major championship at a, at a venue like Pebble Beach and the U.S. Open, which always likes to, you know, present themselves as golf's ultimate challenge, the U.S. Open. This week, it wasn't golf's most ultimate challenge. You don't usually have guys score 12 under. 13 under was his winning score. He birdied the last hole, the 72nd hole, to win by three over Kepka. But you usually, at a U.S. Open venue, do not get to minus 13. But Gary Woodland did, and for a golf fanatic like me, I'm happy that it was somebody different. It was somebody besides the normal guys. A lot of people believed after Saturday night that Justin Rose, who's won a U.S. Open at 20, in 2013 at Marion, a lot of people thought he would win. But Gary Woodland, 35 years old, wins his first major championship. Congratulations and well done. Well, I think golf's ultimate challenge is St. Andrews on a windy day, is what I think. But anyway, that's fine. The U.S. Open does seem to... It's like they try to have the elitist attitude, but they just come off like pretenders. No question. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Right. So that's fine. But yes, good for him. I saw he was shooting at a record pace through three rounds. And so that's great because I think people that have shot as low as he did through three rounds, there's only been two ever that didn't go on to win the tournament. So that was really Look at you. Look at the golf guy here. (laughs) Holy crap. I spent a few days with my dad. and So so that was was good. But anyway, yeah, very happy. It's nice to see different guys winning for sure. And and I like to see that even though Brooks Kepka is my guy, I was kind of cheering for him to come back there. Although it is interesting. I saw an article released. Uh, so Brooks Kepka is from Florida. Correct. Uh, Miami. Yeah. So do you know, Brooks Kepka claims he has never had a hot drink in his life. Never had a hot chocolate or a coffee or a tea in his whole life. Yeah. Now, the coffee I appreciate. I've only had probably two cups of coffee in my life, plus a couple sips when I was a barista, trying to uh, see if I could find something palatable. But uh, I've had a lot of tea and hot chocolate in my life, like a lot of both. Well, I'm in that same boat. I have never, at 50, I'll be 55 in November, I've never had a cup of coffee. Oh, never? Have you never, you never tasted it? I've tried it, hated it. Love, I like the smell. Oh, I don't even like that. Couldn't, couldn't handle it. Uh, I have never to this day. But like you, a little bit of tea, but a lot of hot chocolate. Lots of hot chocolate. I, rever- uh, I reverse those. Actually, when I was a kid, I had lots of hot chocolate, but now it's I have lots of tea. I just had one right now, yeah. and uh, and I still have hot chocolate from time to time. Yeah. But yeah, no, not coffee. But but to never have a ho- I've heard of people who don't like tea or don't like right. coffee. Right, right, right. I've right. never heard of someone not having a hot drink ever. I know. That, that is surprising. That really is. That one got me. Um, but Brooks Kepka is going to be fine, folks. He has already been installed as the favorite next month in uh, at the British Open. Or the open. Talk about pretentious pricks. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the open. That, well, that's what I was thinking. Is I just when I see the U.S. Open trying to the, the USGA, I guess trying to be all high and mighty. I'm like, you're competing against British golfing. Right. Good yeah. luck at yeah. being more pretentious than I one time saw not that long ago. Someone came with an article or a study or something where they claim that the British accent is fake. Really. So what that and what they mean by that is the theory is that originally the uh, British people a long time ago would have talked more like we do in Canada, just you know plainly saying the word. Right. We say if there's an R, we say the letter R. We don't like just kind of eliminate it or whatever. We we just speak as plainly as possible in a like a Germanic way, just say it. 
and that it was just every all of them trying to be all aristocratic and and have that and it ended up leading to the accent which is just fake essentially so i thought that was really really fascinating because i always wondered how because it, it like if if an alien came down you would think that they would look and be like think that we were the original english speakers right, and, then, right, right. and they've got all the stylized version where you know they it's like and then they add an r to anything that ends in a vowel it seems like like you know every they say like i had an idea and it, which is almost like so, southern U.S. or something. Like I don't really get it. It's it's weird. Like it's so strange. But I get that there's this, this, these golf commentators that are from Australia. Let's go down to the 14th hole or the 18th hole. Or uh, I get a little lost listening to Ian Baker Finch on CBS. And this weekend they had uh, Trevor Immelman from South Africa being one of the one of the uh, panelists for the Golf Channel from the U.S. Open. But let's go down to the 18th hole. Um, that's 18. No, let's go to the 18th hole or the 14th hole. And it's like, okay, whatever. But all of that aside, <laughs> uh, a great accomplishment for Gary Woodland. Um, everything that I heard since the tournament ended is he's a very popular guy on the tour, very popular among the fellow golfers. You saw a bunch of golfers hang out after waiting for him to congratulate him. So this is good for golf when someone besides Tiger or Brooks Kepka or somebody else like that wins an, a, a major championship. Uh, good on you, Gary, and, and please continue to do so. The big story that we need to discuss and give congratulations since Chris and I have been out hamming and egging it for the last month or so. Um, this happened last Wednesday night, and for the first time in their history, and there have been probably, I don't really know this, I'm taking a guess. Uh, I would I would pose this to Sean Dode, our Vancouver bureau chief, if he was here. But I'll 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 give this to our Calgary bureau chief, Mr. Fluke. I believe that there were better St. Louis teams, maybe had better talented rosters over the existence of this franchise. But for the first time ever, they bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Unbelievable job by I mean everybody. Remember, and we we we've we've heard this ad nauseum since the start of the Stanley Cup Finals, was that on January 2nd of 2019, the St. Louis Blues statistically were the worst team in the league. They were at the bottom of the barrel. And all of a sudden, they win Lord Stanley's Cup five months later. Um, that is awesome. That is a Vegas Golden Knight story in regard to Vegas last year making it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals as an expansion team. Here's a team that had the worst record, the least amount of points in the National Hockey League on January 2nd of this year. So go back five months. And now the St. Louis Blues were just crowned Stanley Cup champions. Congratulations, obviously, to general manager Doug Armstrong. But I got to give a lot of props, a lot of props, and Chris will too, and anybody out there in the hockey world is singing these guys' praises. And he's a hero here in Calgary because, hey, this guy used to play here. I'm talking about the, I guess we could probably take the interim head coaching tag off of Craig Berube now. I mean, if he isn't the coach next year, I mean, <laughs> what the hell's going on? <laughs> but what a job Craig Berube has done in leading the St. Louis Blues. And obviously, I heard uh, Doug Armstrong had an influential play in this too, the general manager, the patience that he showed in regard to how bad they were statistically on January 2nd. And I heard over the weekend that Jay Bowmeister, who again used to play here for the Calgary Flames, 
He's a defenseman now for the St. Louis Blues. He was hours from being put on the waiver wire when things back in November and December, there were a couple of times that Armstrong was thinking in his mind, well, do we start to rebuild now? Well, he decided to hold off. And I bet there are a lot of people in St. Louis are quite happy about holding off and staying true to the course. You replace Allen with Jordan Binnington in the net, and all of a sudden St. Louis took off, and they are the 2019 Stanley Cup champions. Well, I think that Craig Berube is going to be safe unless the St. Louis Blues suddenly hire either Masai Ujiri or Murray Edwards to run their hockey department. <laughs> You've come back from vacation with a good sense I'm of humor. Ready. Fuck Murray Edwards. I hate that idiot. Like We can rebuild, but I still expect to make the playoffs. Shut up. Go back to All business. out. Every, Every shift. shift. Oh, geez. I'm all out of patience with Murray Edwards, that's for sure. But anyway, yeah, congrats to the Blues. What You might be right that uh, this might not be the greatest Blues team of the last 40 years, uh, most of which they made the playoffs in. But right. it did, at the end, it did feel like those great St. Louis Blues teams because it was just so solid. Like, there's mm-hmm. just something rock solid. And you have to have that rock solid foundation if you're the Detroit Red Wings making the playoffs 25 years in a row. If you're the Blues making the 33 years in a row. You have to have that solid foundation. Even the St. Louis Cardinals will often go for a long time with just a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. And we have Jordan Binnington even though he's so young. He's just always had, uh, well always, like in his short time he's been around, he just has that extreme natural confidence like he demonstrated in that one famous interview. And then you've got Jay Bomeister, who doesn't do anything particularly well except play a lot. He just right. he's, he's the ultimate minute muncher. Like he just uses he just plays a lot of minutes and is just kind of solid. And then you've got Alex Peterangelo, who is like a, an upgraded version of Jay Bomeister. And you've got and you've got a great complimentary cast of characters, including former Oilers David Perron and Pat Maroon. And so it was nice to see those guys get a cup, especially Maroon, who's um, from St. Louis. From St. Louis, yeah. yes, absolutely. So that was really cool. So I'm happy for the Blues. I'm happy for the Raptors. <clears throat> I'm happy with all of these teams and franchises that have never had a championship. I like to. I don't like when a team hasn't ever won a championship. Usually, uh, I can make an exception for the Detroit Lions, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure Mike can appreciate. Right. <laughs> I mean, just any team that's run by a bunch of yo-yos. I mean, look now, it and it's it's okay because this the the people of Detroit have had lots of success. The Red Wings, I mean, bunch of cups, playoffs for twenty five years straight. It's not like they were bad. Detroit Tigers, Tigers. have had lots of great teams, yep. Yep. right? Detroit Pistons have won championships not that long ago, right? right? And, and they've had some real glory days with that serial killer, whatever he is, that that Looney Tune, Dennis Rodman. No, 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 no. <laughs> and I and and older Isaiah Thomas, who doesn't know how to spell Isaiah, that guy, uh, he uh, he didn't really kill anyone, but man, those eyes. I don't know. That there's something. I don't want to look at that guy's laptop. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's. <laughs> I don't even know what I'd find, but I probably wouldn't like it. So anyway, oh yeah, God. yeah. So lots of, and and I mean, the first I, th- I saw some trivia the other day, like the first team or the first city, I think, ever to have uh, the, the championship in all like all their teams were the reigning champion. This happened in the 1930s or so, I think, was Detroit as a city. Like all oh, the, really? there was a year where all of their teams were the champion. And that could have been Boston this year if the Celtics wouldn't have. Yeah, failed. exactly. Yeah, which would be an amazing, uh, right. you know, uh, an accomplishment these days. But so look, Detroit's had a lot of success, so I don't feel bad about 
bashing the Lions there. They, uh, you know, I'll never forgive them for making Barry, just Barry Sanders alone, never mind uh, Megatron as well, to make them retire at age 30, lots left in the tank. And there's like, wow, this team doesn't care about winning, so why should I? And uh, so I, I just don't have any sympathy for the Detroit Lions. But uh, other than that, and I'm sure there's some other exceptions, I'd certainly never feel bad if no team uh, outside Edmonton in the Pacific Division ever won a Stanley Cup again. Uh, there's there's always going to be those. But as a general rule, even if there's a team I don't like that much, I still don't like when their fans have never had any success, especially in a in a city. If you talk about a city like Cleveland, where they have great supportive fans and they usually have nothing to cheer for. So I, I, I like to see when a team like the St. Louis Blues win the Cup. So congratulations to the city of St. Louis. Um, I was listening to Hair Boy the other day. Um, Harry Melrose? No, 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 no. Brian Burke. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. You know, I, I he still has this. It's like somebody, I don't know. It's, well, that's it's, the new thing is to, I mean, I've done point five on the side for a long well, time, as I've said, but that, that's but, that's the new thing. But see, for... here's the thing. He's got it weird that it's only on one side. What? Yeah, it looks like, I, I don't know. I but, thought I saw it on two You know, I, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not the biggest Brian Burke fan. But he he um he um was on this thing, on this show that they call Sportsnet at noon or Sports Central at noon or something like that, on Rogers Sportsnet up here in Canada, and they talk hockey for an hour over your lunch period, and um, he was talking about. I, I want to ask your opinion on this, and that's why I'm going to this. Um, Burke uh, was quite adamant that they made the correct selection of Ryan O'Reilly as the winner of the Conn Smythe. And I don't I don't have anything really negative to say about Ryan O'Reilly. He once signed an offer sheet to come to Calgary and it was matched by the Colorado Avalanche, so it never quite came to fruition. Um he took he was telling a story the first time that Brian Burke met Ryan O'Reilly was in a restaurant in Calgary when Ryan O'Reilly was playing for the Buffalo Sabres and they were at High Steakhouse downtown and they walk into the men's room, and here's Ryan O'Reilly, and he extends his hand. Hopefully he washed it and says to Burke, nice to meet you, Mr. Burke. And Burke says, Ryan, most people that know me call me Berkey. And Ryan O'Reilly says, well, I don't know you that well, so you're Mr. Burke. And I was quite impressed by that. Um, you know what? Obviously, if you're winning a Stanley Cup championship and you win the Conn Smythe, you can, you're a pretty damn good hockey player. I just think that there probably should have been a little bit more consideration, in my opinion, take it for what it's worth, and Burke believes this too, that Jordan Bennington maybe should have gotten some consideration for the Conn Smythe because realistically, folks, do the St. Louis Blues win this year's Stanley Cup without Jordan Bennington? They weren't going to win it with that Allen guy between the nets and the pipes. I believe that Jordan Bennington, and I'm not complaining about it. I think it was a solid choice. Ryan O'Reilly did some really good things in the postseason, obviously for a team that won the freaking Stanley Cup. But should there have been some consideration for Jordan Bennington? And if there was, does his, I don't want to say his newness to the National Hockey League. I mean, he, he was brought up. He, was in the, he started the year in the minor leagues. He started the year in the American Hockey League and ends up leading the St. Louis Blues to the Stanley Cup championship. Should there have been more consideration for Bennington to have been the Conn Smythe winner. Well, I do appreciate when they go outside the box, essentially, and pick somebody other than 
the goaltender because really uh, there's pretty much no team that ever wins a cup without the goaltender. Correct. And he did certainly provide an upgrade over Jake Allen. Nothing against Jake Allen. Jake Allen's had some great moments. No, and, I, I, and he's going to be a real strong free agent find for somebody, but possibly the Edmonton Oilers, I think. Really? Well, he'll be expendable now, yeah, right? For so, sure. Yeah, so yeah, he's gone as far as I'm concerned because I think he's a starter. So somebody's going to pick him up and get a good deal on a pretty good goaltender, I think. So that's great. Uh, but to answer your question... I like the selection of Ryan O'Reilly, and of course, Bennington was the obvious uh, second-place finisher for sure here, and, and I have no problem with anyone saying he deserved to win, but let's talk about how great that Ryan O'Reilly trade was. Less than a year ago, yeah. they talked to the Buffalo Sabres, and it's not, and even for a great player like Ryan O'Reilly, it's not easy to send three centers and a first and a second. That's a big, That's a big, big, big price to pay. And I hope the Buffalo Sabres enjoy one of those picks, which is going to be happening this Friday. And because uh, that's the, the least that they could get since they gave up the Conn Smythe winner who took the Blues to their first ever franchise championship. But a, a player like Ryan O'Reilly is very rare. I mean, how many, like he's essentially, he plays like a power forward, but yet he's in the Lady Bing conversation as most sportsmanlike. He's the one who a couple years ago almost went a full season without a penalty, right. which is almost Yeah, and impossible. he's calling Brian Burke Mr. Burke. Yeah, I mean, he's a great guy. He does everything well, I think. He's a great player, a great man. Everyone likes him. He's a tough competitor, but very fair. He's the least dirty or cheap player that there is. I mean, I don't, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Ryan O'Reilly. And in to, to have that kind of a high-risk trade pay off to the absolute maximum, much like Kawhi with a, a championship and an MVP immediately, Ryan O'Reilly, exactly the same situation, except that he's going to be there long-term, which is a massive improvement. But yeah, to come in less than a year and Conn Smythe and Stanley Cup, amazing i've got nothing bad to say about ryan o'reilly i'm thrilled that he got the con smythe and i think that's well deserved and there no matter if he wins any more championships or not i guarantee you there is a lot more hardware in the future for ryan o'reilly um a few administration uh national hockey league moves to get you caught up on if you haven't heard already uh as we sit here early afternoon on uh, june the 17th and as chris mentioned should be a lot of wheeling and dealing this week in the National Hockey League because obviously the the draft, the NHL draft, happens, I believe, again, starting, is it Friday again? Yep. Starts Friday in Vancouver, so a lot of wheeling and dealing. But we have some breaking news on this edition of our little program. The news is that the San Jose Sharks have come to an agreement on an eight-year deal worth over $11 million per season, just besting last year's number one defenseman contract, which went to Drew Doughty of the Los Angeles Kings. About 500 miles north up the Pacific coast, the Sharks have signed Eric Carlson. And um, good news. Um, I'm happy for Carlson. Um, I think Sharks fans are going to be happy. And hopefully next year they get Carlson for more than 59 games, which he played this year due to a a variety of, of injuries, but that's a really solid signing, I believe, for the San Jose Sharks. The Washington Capitals have jumped into the bandwagon, and they have re-signed one of their own. They've signed Carl Hagelin to a four-year, 11, well, it's a four-year, $11 million deal. Um, that's all the specifics I have on that. 
Chris is looking on his uh, little computer right now, and he'll probably get some more information for us. Another signing that I became aware of this morning, just Jordan Everly, I should say. He has re-signed with the New York Islanders for five years, $27.5 million. Chris will definitely have a comment about that because he already has had a couple of comments off-air about that and thinks that uh, who's ever running the New York Islanders these days got a little loosey-goosey with the checkbook, but we can certainly talk about that as Chris is looking for some more details on the Hagelin signing with the Washington Capitals. The Anaheim Mighty Ducks, well, they're not mighty anymore, but the Mighty Ducks, I'm all, they're always going to be the Mighty Ducks to me, I don't care. The Ducks are going to be naming, and Chris has, you know what guys, Chris has been calling this for six months. And the, and the remember the reason I remember this guy is because his wife is hot. That's what that's, <laughs> that's how I remember it. I believe that, and I don't mean this as a shot. I really don't. But in his first tour of duty as a National Hockey League coach in Edmonton, there were times, in my opinion, that he looked a little overmatched. I think that would be fair to say. Any time you ascend to a top job, the head coaching job in the National Hockey League, there are going to be times in that first year, I don't give a damn who you are, there are going to be adjustments that have to be made. And I think Dallas Akins did himself a real strong favor by going down to the AHL, improving his way of handling things and working on his craft. And I think the benefactory, the beneficiaries, I should say here, are going to be the Anaheim Ducks. Because Akins did a hell of a job with the San Diego Gulls of the AHL and he is set now to be announced as the new head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. Two other quick notes before I get Chris in here. I'm on a roll. Um, is the end now here? When this guy came out, when he was a all-world uh, defenseman for the Red Deer Rebels, and he came out and was drafted by the Calgary Flames. I'm talking about defenseman Dion Phaneuf, and his first year in Calgary, he was outstanding. He had over 20 goals. He was just, you know, but then he just kind of lost his mind, and, and then he went to Toronto and then got traded off to Ottawa, and then in basically in a, you know, get rid of him, get his contract off the books. They send him for send him to L.A. for a bag of hockey pucks and a and a bus pass. Well, the Kings have bought out the final two years of Dion Phaneuf's contract, and I wonder is that the end now for Dion Phaneuf at 34 years of age? I don't see a big market for Dion Phaneuf moving forward. And one last thing before I let Chris comment on all these unbeknownst to anybody who really doesn't give a damn, that includes Chris and I, the floodplain flames supposedly have put feelers out to see if they can find a trading partner to rid themselves of James Neal, who still has three years and a bunch of money on his contract that he signed last year with the flames. So I've given Chris a whole bunch of things and I just hand the microphone right over to you, sir. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Dion Phaneuf is washed up and he's been a head case for a long time. I, there's probably going to be some old so, yeah. GM who signs him and, and is living in the past. And that would really be a good, this would be a really good litmus test to see if your GM is old and out of touch and out of date. I God think damn right. if he tries to sign this, I think that'd be a, a really good telltale sign. So I, I hope Dion Phaneuf is done. Cause I was, I mean, I feel like he was done uh, for half my lifetime. He ago. was pretty much done in my opinion after a second year in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, he was okay when he was really young and now it's just, it's been going on way too long. He needs to, 
move along, I think, as they say here. Uh, the Carl Hagelin signing, four years, 11 million. It's really just a depth signing. It's, yeah. uh, you know, he's a solid player, but it's it's just whatever. Uh, all right, so. Dallas Aikens as the new coach of Anaheim. <laughs> okay, so let's let's look at the pros and cons here. So the pros, he look, he wasn't ready, and he admits that he wasn't ready uh, his first time in Edmonton. But the pros about having Dallas Aikens as your coach, he's a cerebral guy. He tries to get better. He really thinks things through. He's willing to think outside the box. He tried, you know, being embedded with Jason Garrett and the Dallas Cowboys That's for right. three days and that massive coaching staff. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, he's willing to really try hard and think hard and work hard. So that's the pros of signing Dallas Aikens. The cons of signing Dallas Aikens are... <laughs> it's Dallas fucking Aikens. <laughs> so that would be the con of, <laughs> of signing Dallas Aikens. Uh, but it, it, look, in all, in all seriousness, he, he was great with the San Diego Gulls. Uh, you know, just, and, and so now he's going to be uh, essentially coaching those same players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've really developed. If you want to give him the credit or not, it's hard to say uh, for developing some of these guys. But, oh boy, I... Don't really expect him to do any. It's hard after I've uh, seen what he did in Edmonton. I know he's had a few years to try to fix things, but he's he's got too much of a temper for me for today's players. The fact that he seems to be developing young players is fairly surprising. Maybe he's made adjustments with his communication style and he's not throwing temper tantrums against Taylor Hall on the bench anymore. But also, it's not going to help his cause that... The uh, oh, the Anaheim Ducks are really on the downswing. They're looking at getting rid of Corey Perry. Their guys are getting old. Uh, they have an internal salary cap that nobody knows about that the ownership doesn't want them to go over. And there's lots of problems there. So unless he can really develop these young players and take them to the next level really quickly, I don't think that he's really set up to succeed anyway. And I don't think that he's really uh, going to do that <laughs> on his own anyway. So uh, with... Eric Carlson, this is just way too much term. and Yes, and, and thank you. Way too much. So I was meeting with our Vancouver Bureau Chief Sean Dode in Vancouver while I was off. And <laughs> like he, there's nobody more anti-term than Sean. And Sean said that he, he wishes the limit was three years. Like, he, like that's what, and he wouldn't, wouldn't want to sign anyone for three years. And I told, he would want like all entry-level contracts. And I said, well... There's a there's a cap floor in place for people like you. So in case a GM tried to do your stuff, right? So uh, it's just I mean I guess it's it's weird because term is just now this thing that's just used to uh, you know as a as a carrot to dangle in front of people so they sign with you. It's you know someone was going to give him eight years and then they just worry about the consequences later financially, just like most humans, right? So it's just it really needs to be reformed, I think, because. That's crazy. They may maybe they should make it with age or something where you know you can't give a guy a, a, a long term contract Once if it takes him hit. past forty or something. Like it's just it's so reckless and so ridiculous. Because they and and like Sean has often said, like name one person in the NHL's history who's ever signed an eight year deal or more when back when you could sign longer contracts than that, who's ever you know, signed an eight-year deal and given full value to that entire length of the contract. I think we're going to see Connor McDavid do that because he signed it when he was yep. you know, 20 or whatever it was. But when you're signing guys in their 30s to eight-year deals, and because of the uh, you know how they fixed the weird contract a while back, you can't just make it so you're paying him 
15 million a year now and 1 million a year at the end of the contract. You can't do, you can't backload the contracts like that. So there's just no way that they're going to get full value for another eight years, even though guys are playing until they're older and all that. It's just so unrealistic and reckless. So this is just a, a ridiculous signing. I, I thought Eric Carlson has already looking on the downswing, frankly. I mean, there's, he's still good, but I, he's not. he didn't look to me like he did in Ottawa. So I think this is a terrible signing. as a con- It's a, not a bad signing. It's a terrible contract. Yeah. And so I, I can't be happy about it at all. Good for the Sharks, but I, I think that this is kind of a, a desperation move by them. Uh, anything else that I missed there? No, I think you got it all. I've got one. Oh, uh... James Neal. I, oh, I think I, I, I can go real quick on that one. Yeah. So the the two deals that have been talked about with Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton, uh, a lot of talk between just Vancouver and Edmonton about trading Milan Lucic for Louis Erickson. Basically, oh. each each team getting rid of its bad contract, and uh, Milan is just too slow, and Erickson is the laziest person in the NHL. So that's not really good. Uh, they're both getting six million a year, but Erickson has one less year, so that'd be the only thing. And then the other thing talked about is a three-way deal where the Flames would get Erickson, the Canucks would get Lucic, and the Oilers would get James Neal. I would actually be familiar with that because I have much more time for James Neal than I do for Lucic or Erickson because James Neal, I think, just had a bad year. These other two guys are just done. Well, that would be interesting in and of itself because in any professional sport, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interdivision trading yeah so if you had all three teams involved in a deal from western canada boy that would be interesting because those are the teams you see each other the most times so it'd be very interesting to see if that happens uh according to our vancouver bureau chief sean dote and sean really has good insight as to what's going on in gary bettman's league one question that just came to mind as you were talking about the anaheim ducks there and we know that they're looking to get rid of Corey Perry and and obviously they're in the middle of a of a I think of a massive rebuild in Anaheim but does Ryan Getzlaff end his career as a duck well he's a Saskatchewan boy originally but I kind of got a place in Penticton or in uh, Kelowna in the off season lives down the street from Barry Trott supposedly and uh, I just wonder because that's one of those you know that's like a Ginla in Calgary in regard to that's guy that has been born and bred in that organization. He's synonymous with the Anaheim Ducks organization. And I just wonder, in this house cleaning, does Getzlaff survive? I kind of think he does. I, do I, too. I, I could see him leaving, but I, I think they try to finish off his career there. Uh, but that is very different than Corey Perry, who they're trying to get Correct. rid of. Yeah. They yeah. they may just put him right on waivers yeah. straight up. Mm-hmm. I think the Oilers will try to get Corey Perry, even mm-hmm. though he's diminishing. They, they need that type of finisher and veteran leadership I think would would help uh, a lot I I think they're really gonna make a play for Corey Perry if he's available and uh, the one thing I did miss what you talked about was Jordan Eberle uh, oh yeah you wanted to rip the numbers well I'll just read what uh, Sean said here case in point Eberle re-signing with New York Islanders for five more years at 5.5 AAV ridiculous he deserves at best 4.4 sorry he deserves at best four times four. Totally agree with Sean on that. Uh, Eberly is known as a guy who doesn't play a lot of defense. And the really disappointing thing was he is the most clutch player in world junior history mm-hmm. ever. I mm-hmm. mean, he was unbelievable. He was ranked on a list with all the greats, like Gretzky and all of them. He was ranked as the number one world junior Canada player of all time with a couple of insanely clutch goals. And he was just great. And then when the Oilers finally did make the playoffs a couple of years ago, 
And, you know, we, we really expected that he would come to life and he didn't at all. He actually wilted in the playoffs and that was disappointing. So I'm shocked at that contract. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. But uh, I mean, he's got some really nice hands when he's motivated and he's feeling it. His hands are right up there with the best. He looks like Datsuk out there right-handed uh, when he's at his best, but you don't get a lot of that. And overall, I just, I, I like the guy, but that's a, that's a, an overpay and for no good reason. Who's the number one pick in Friday's draft? Do you know? Oh, Jack Hughes. And he's going to the brain. Uh, New Jersey Devils. Yeah, Jesus. I had a turtle Sorry. brain fart there. Yeah. All right, folks, we got to run on this uh, 356th episode of Unscripted. We thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke. I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.